You are convinced of Christ's existence because of bad storytelling? Christ's existence isn't in doubt. Only who he was. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. You can live to survive. You can live to experience excitement. You can live for the hope of a good retirement. You can live for a lot of reasons. But the most important of all is to know who you are and to know where you're going. That's why we're all here today, to know something that we might not know. We're here to know. And today, you will find out. Pop culture physicist Michio Kaku is a professor of theoretical physics at the City College of New York, and he makes bold predictions about the future, sweeping predictions. He says by 2020, the word computer will have vanished from the English language. In the future, we'll have millions of microchips in all of our possessions, furniture, cars, appliances, and clothes will all be smart. Everything will simply turn on. When you need to see a doctor in the future, you'll talk to a wall in your home and an animated, artificially intelligent doctor will appear. There will also be another wall in your home that will contain all of my old sermons and you'll be able to turn them on and off at will, a luxury that you do not have this morning. The internet will be in your contact lens. You will blink and go online. Some of you are blinking and going on right now, and I know who you are. (laughs) The world will become a fully globalized civilization by the year 2100, and the planetary language will be English. So much for como esta usted in my six years of studying Spanish. Dr. Kaku stated in a recent interview, he's prolific in his visionary experiences about the future, his visionary predictions about the future. But when it comes to understanding who we are and where we're going, it's quite a different story. He stated, to understand the universe, physicists first need to figure out what it's made of. We had to rewrite every textbook because 10 years ago, they all said the universe is mainly made out of atoms. We know now that's wrong. In reality, atoms make up only 4% of the universe. The other 96% consists of dark matter and dark energy, two mysterious substances about which very little is known. And so a very, very brilliant scientist A very, very smart man makes these sweeping predictions and yet can't explain who we really are or where we really came from. Well, it's interesting to speculate about the future. At the end of the day, there's so much more to learn about the universe in which we have our zip code. 
Maybe we need to move beyond science and philosophical debate to know who you are and know where you're going might just be bigger issues than the physical universe issue. The Bible says just that. There are rumors of a place beyond the universe. There are rumors of paradise. To look for answers to who you are and where you're going, you'll ultimately have to go beyond what is available to you on a day-to-day basis. As technologically sophisticated as the world is, some days it just doesn't quite get us where we need to go. I was going on a trip recently, and being helpful, Adam Bradshaw gave to me his GPS system that I could take with me and plug into my car when I got there. He said, I've prepared this for you. I put in all the places that you're going to go. So all you have to do is is push this button. Everything will work. You'll know exactly where you have to go. The machine will will just tell you. I thought he was being kind. So I got to my destination and I plugged this in and I got ready. I pushed the, the first button and, and stated where I needed to go, upon which I heard these words. At the end of the road, take the ferry and then two-step with me, you dig? Turn around when possible and keep it cheap, you dig? I'm listening to Snoop Dogg on the GPS. You know, I'm a pastor. I don't want to listen to Snoop Dogg on the GPS. I don't want to listen to him anywhere. And so what in the world is going on here? The bigger question arises beyond what's beyond the universe. Why does Adam have Snoop Dogg on his GPS? I'm starting to worry about that, boy. I need to know who I am and where I'm going beyond technology. I need to know more than just where my body is and where it's going. I need to know where my soul is and where it's going. It's 33 AD, and the sun is coming up on a new universe, John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. It's like they're giving us a snapshot of that very moment. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. And then John brings us to this pithy summation of his story. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus predicted the future by giving his life. He explained that the universe was created by tiny 
particles called love. In the middle of the first century, Paul explained who you are and where you're going this way as he wrote to one of the early churches in his letter we call Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. In other words, Paul is saying, you know the truth. You've heard of the truth and you've experienced the truth and now you are building your lives upon that truth. You know who you are and you know where you're going. And then he paints a picture of Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's the image of the invisible God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul says, Jesus holds everything together. Everything that God wanted to, to show you, everything he wanted to teach you, everything he wanted to reveal to you is in Jesus Christ. So you see, to know who you are and where you're going, you must know who Christ is and where he came from. To know who you are and where you're going, you must know who Christ is and where he came from. Jesus keeps showing up century after century. There are debates. There are philosophical dramas. There are all manner of ways. There are, are paintings that try to depict him. He keeps showing up and showing up. And tomorrow he will show up on the cover of Newsweek, April 9th, 2012. There he is. They placed him in, in Times Square. They placed him there with the crown of thorns still on his head. And the, the editor of Newsweek, Tina Brown, the editor-in-chief, wrote in her column on page four these words about Jesus. Jesus was a lone, wandering preacher with a small knot of followers. His message was radical. Leave your family, give away all you own, and devote yourself selflessly to God, which meant loving not only one's neighbors, but also one's enemies. He was adamantly apolitical even to the point of refusing to defend himself at his own trial. And then she asks a very weighty question. So how did we get to a point where the message of Christianity in America has drifted so far from Jesus? It's a good question. In the article inside titled, The Forgotten Jesus, Andrew Sullivan writes about a founding father 
I am a real Christian, Thomas Jefferson insisted against the fundamentalists and clerics of his time. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Whether or not you believe as I do in Jesus' divinity and resurrection, Sullivan writes, and in the importance of celebrating both on Easter Sunday, Jefferson's point is crucially important because it was Jesus' point. What does it matter how strictly you proclaim your belief in various doctrines if you do not live as these doctrines demand? So how did we get to a point where the message of Christianity in America has drifted so far from Jesus? And then Newsweek becomes almost biblical. The thirst for God is still there. How could it not be when the profoundest human questions, why does the universe exist rather than nothing? How did humanity come to be on this remote blue speck of a planet? What happens to us after death remain as pressing and mysterious as they've always been? To know who you are and where you're going, you must know who Christ is and where he came from. You see, Jesus predicted the future by giving his life. He explained that the universe was created from tiny particles called love. Jesus speaks to us clearly in John, the 16th chapter. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. There have been rumors. There have been rumors of a place beyond the universe. Rumors of paradise. And in Jesus Christ, all those rumors fade away and they become the truth. The truth of life. The truth of how you can know who you are and where you're going. People have talked about Jesus across the centuries. Napoleon said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. H.G. Wells wrote, I am an historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess, as a historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. Larry King, ever the interviewer, 
posed this. I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born because the answer to that question would define history. Augustine, steeped in his faith, wrote these words, because God has made us for himself. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Recently, I had a quote spoken to to me right into my life by a famous ex-NFL running back named Rocky Blyer. I went to the Norfolk Sports Club dinner and I told you about this story a few weeks ago. And I had never heard of this man, but his story stunned me and it amazed me. It humbled me. He was on the 1966 national championship team at Notre Dame. He was captain of that team in 1968. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers then in 1968. In the 16th round, it was almost an afterthought, but he made the team, and in 1969, he received his first fan mail. It was a letter from Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam wanted him in the Army to go to Vietnam, and so he left the team. He went to Vietnam, and on August the 20th of 1969, in Chu Lai, he was shot in the left thigh, and he also that same day stepped on a grenade and blew up his foot and shrapnel embedded itself in his leg. When he was in the hospital in Da Nang, he thought he would never play football again. But the owner of the Steelers wanted him back, and the, the team gave him a chance to, to come back. He worked hard. He rehabbed. He worked harder than anybody worked. And this courageous, honorable man of faith went back to play for the Steelers. He played behind Terry Bradshaw. He played next to Franco Harris. And he won four Super Bowl rings. When I approached him after dinner, not knowing if I could even get close to him, Suddenly I was face to face and I said, I'm a preacher and you inspired me tonight. He looked at me with a twinkle in his eye and he said, I heard something the other day. It's a sin to be good when God made you to be great. And I will carry that quote with me for a long, long time. It's a sin to be good when God made you to be great. I don't usually like listening to old preachers on TV. They sound boring to me, and they sound like they're going over the same stuff all the time. So usually, if I come upon an old preacher, I'll just sort of click on by, and I'll get to man versus food. A much more interesting show. I'll get to MLB Network, and I'll check on some scores, and I'll see how my, my team is doing. So it was kind of interesting the other day when God said to me, Michael, go look in a mirror. So I went and I looked in a mirror. God said, what do you see? And I said, I see an old preacher. And God said, you got it. Stop blowing by those guys on TV because you are one. (laughs) I was suddenly stuck in a mirror parable. So the next time I was watching TV, I hit upon this old preacher guy, and he's, he's making a lot of sense. He starts by asking this question. It's a great question. It's an old preacher guy kind of question. How will God judge us? But he gave a brilliant answer by asking three more questions. How will God judge us? He said, first, how much light of truth did we know? Second, how much opportunity 
did we have? And third, what did we do with it? How much light of truth did we know means how much did we know about the story? How much did we know about Jesus? How many of his words have we heard over the years? How many times have we been in church? Or how many times have we read the Bible, read Paul's letters, read the prophecies? How much light of truth did we know? What's the aggregate of truth in our lives? How much opportunity did we have? How many times were we in a moment when we could have accepted him into our lives as our Lord and Savior? How many times? Two times? One time? A dozen times? Were were we at a moment when we could have said, yes, I will believe, just like John believed at a moment in his life, just like Paul believed in a moment in his life, just like Mary believed in a moment in her life. And then what did we do with it? In other words, did we take that step? Did we grab that moment? Did we mark that moment? Did we say that's the moment that will define who I am and where I am going? To know who you are and where you're going, you must know who Christ is and where he comes from. And then you must decide. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, Freud had a lot of light of truth. And Freud had much opportunity. And he had a moment of opportunity right there. But to the best of our knowledge, he never made a decision and died as an atheist. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The thirst for God is still there. Why does the universe exist rather than nothing? How did humanity come to be on this remote blue speck of a planet? What happens to us after death. And so I was at the airport and I was trying to catch a flight to Charlotte and I I met a friend and he was catching the same flight to Charlotte. We were connecting in Charlotte going two different places when suddenly the announcement came. All flights are canceled due to fog. Please get in this line. We'll try to to work something out for each of you as, as best as we can. Well, that didn't sound good. We stood in the line, and, and the line wasn't moving, and we stood and we talked, and the line just, just wouldn't move. And then we heard that there was a strong possibility if we left the line and we went downstairs, we could maybe rebook ourselves and still get out of the airport. And so we said, okay, let's be rebels, let's be renegades, let's be radical, let's get out of this line that's going nowhere, let's go back through security, let's go downstairs, and let's try to rebook ourselves. So we, we went down there, and we went up to the, to the counter, and we're in another line down there, when suddenly got a phone call from the office, I have you rebooked on another flight, and, but you gotta get there, it's leaving in a half an hour, you gotta get to that gate, you gotta go over and re-ticket yourself. And so I went over to the other airline, which will remain unnamed, because I don't want anybody to lose their job. It was Delta. (laughs) 
and, and I went over there, and the nice person from Delta greeted me, and I said, I gotta get on this flight to Chicago. I gotta get on a flight to Chicago. It's leaving in a half an hour. She punched it in the computer. She said, you're two minutes too late. You can't get on. It's after the 30-minute window. I said, I have to get on the flight. Can we go over and talk to these other Delta folks over here at the counter? They look like, like maybe they could handle an emergency like this. So she said, she shrugged her shoulders. She said, go ahead, sir. I went over and I talked to these people, and I'm begging them. I've got to get on this flight. I've got to get to Chicago. I have a meeting. I'm meeting a friend. And they looked at me, and they said, well, we, it's just too late, but we'll, we'll take a look at it. And I think just to placate me, they took a look at it. And they went click, 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 click. And they said, no, it didn't work. Click, 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 click. No, it didn't work. Click, click, click. It worked. And all of a sudden they had a boarding pass and they're handing me the boarding pass. This woman hands this boarding pass to me and I will never forget what she said. She said, run as you've never run before in your life. <laughs> and I looked at her and I felt like saying, have you looked at me? <laughs> but I had the boarding pass. So I start running, sort of running. I'm taking... I'm taking two steps on the escalator, you know, at the, just, I went up the escalator in, in record time for me, and then I'm running across, you know, toward the gate, and this, this, is, this is the truest story I could ever tell you. This guy's coming, being pushed in a wheelchair, and he's in my way. I, I you know, it was rude, it was terrible. I almost knocked him over, but I sort, of, I sort of jumped half around him and kept going, and I thought, that was terrible, that was rude. I'll apologize to him in heaven. I don't have time. I do not have time right now. I have to get through security. I gotta take my shoes off. They have to pat me down. This guy starts patting me down. He goes, I'm now going to be patting your buttocks. I don't want people patting my buttocks in, in security. But you know, so I get through, I grab my shoes. You know, I can't, I don't have time to put my shoes on. I'm, I'm running. I'm, I'm trying to get there. It was the last gate. I get all the way down to the last gate. I'm out of breath. I hand my boarding pass to him. I said, Michael Simone, I'm here for the flight. She said, the plane is still in Raleigh. <laughs> it was then that I learned what Delta means. Doesn't ever leave the airport. But that, my friends, is a parable of our lives. We're running, we're going places so fast, we gotta get there, we think we have a ticket, we think we know what we're doing, we think that somehow what we've achieved in life is gonna get us there, we think somehow that our trophies are gonna get us there, our income is gonna get us there, our retirement is gonna get us there, we got a ticket, we think we have it all nailed down technologically, philosophically, sometimes we even think we have it nailed down spiritually, but it's our spirituality, it's not really God's spirituality, it's our theology, it's not really his theology, and we're gonna get to the end of our lives and there's going to be nothing there. It's going to be the saddest moment of your life when you worked yourself to death, literally. And there's nothing there because it was all inside of your head and you didn't know who he was and you didn't know where he was from and you don't know who you are, and you don't know where you're going. This is important stuff. The thirst for God is still there. These questions must be answered. When you make a, when you make a decision for Christ, you are making a decision to follow him. You are making a decision for paradise. You are making a decision 
that says, I know who I am because I know who you are. I know where I'm going because I know where you came from. I am the way and the truth and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus predicted the future by giving his life. He explained that the universe was created by love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And now you know who you are. And now you know where you're going. It's Easter. It's time to decide. It's time to believe. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you will draw a woman to your heart by the power of your Holy Spirit, that she will know who she is and she'll know where she's going because of your son. I pray for a man here today that you will draw him by your Holy Spirit, that he will know who he is and where he's going because he he knows you. He gives his life to you. I pray for a young boy, a young girl here today, that they will want to know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, pull us into this miraculous resurrection. Pull us into this moment that defines history as you defined history. Father, let us know forever and always that you predicted the future by your death, that you explain the universe and how it is created out of love, that there is paradise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.